Okay, so if you've been attending church, if this is your first time in our church, I would like to welcome you. Um, welcome to Bloom Church. We are a Bible teaching church. We preach from the Bible and we love Jesus. We honor Jesus in our church. So welcome. Um, if you've been attending church, you know that we are doing a series on the book of Philippians, right? But when Colby asked me to preach, I said, can I break away from your series and just preach from what the Lord is leading me to preach? So I said, yeah, that's fine. So I decided to preach from the book of Galatians, chapter 3. So, and like what I said, I, was, I prepared to preach using my 17 slides. So what I did, what I did a while ago when I realized that we have some technical difficulties, I sent the slide to your Viber. So if you would like to download that one and you can follow me, that would be great. And today's sermon is all about faith. The title of my sermon is Justified by Faith. How many of you likes flying? Uh-huh. You know, I, I fly, I'll probably say three, four times a year, but I've never enjoyed flying. Every time, like the first 15 minutes of takeoff, after takeoff, it really scares me. And I would always tell myself, why did you choose to fly? Why did you, why did you, why did you get a ticket and fly? Because I'm, I'm, I'm scared of turbulence. And yeah, so because you know why? Because I, I, I'm just thinking about this one. I, we don't see what's inside the, the what do you call that, where the pilot stays? Yeah, yeah, yeah you, do, you don't see what's going on in there, but you have faith in them that they will bring you to your destinations, right? And how many of you likes puzzle? Oh, I should, be, I should be speaking to Midwest people because the Midwest people likes puzzle. So um, when I lived in Nebraska, a lot of people that I've met, they love puzzle. Puzzles, yeah. No, uh, puzzles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Puzzles, puzzles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, you like puzzles. Um, it, yeah. So I was. And another thing, I was thinking about this one. I said, I said, we trust the manufacturer that they will all have the pieces inside. But sometimes we don't trust the Lord about the things, the small things that's happening in our lives of of how these things will fit. Uh, like what I said, these are my introductions to my sermon about faith. And my sermon, like what I said, has a title of Justified by Faith. And when you open the scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you would see numerous examples of people who have exercised great faith. And we've seen the story of Moses, we've seen the story of Noah, Joshua, Gideon, a very famous one in the Old Testament where he only had 300 people and they won a battle against their enemy, right? So it is not surprising that as we open our Bible, particularly in the book of Galatians chapter 3, we know here that Paul is trying to explain to the Galatian believers and to the Judaizers. These are people. Judaizers are Jewish and non-Jewish who regarded the Levitical laws of the Old Testament as still binding on all Christians. They, they consider the laws as, as, some, as somehow would bring them to God, closer to the Lord. So Paul is trying to explain to this group of people that faith is the only way to salvation and not works. 
So it's not strange if you know Paul that he would use and he would select as his number one illustration one of the greatest Jews of all time. And that man is Abraham. And he's going to use Abraham as his proof case. You know what's the problem in the book of Galatians that Paul is dealing when he was writing this letter? He was battling a wrong doctrine. Because the Galatian churches, the Galatian people believe that in order for you to be saved, you have to combine. That you must combine grace with with your works. And we know that that's not true. And Paul said, when he heard that, he said, that's not true. And in order for me to challenge your, your, your wrong doctrine, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present you something. And I'm going to use um, your, your number one hero, Abraham. So if you are going to refute to a bunch of Jewish people, Jewish re, uh, religious leaders, and if you are going to challenge their wrong interpretation of an Old Testament doctrines, what will you use? Who will you use? I think Paul is very good and, and very strategic here when he went right to their number one hero. And he says, let me take one of your heroes and let me take somebody whom you hold in high regard. And someone whom you revered and honored in your history. And let me point to him as my illustration of what it means to be justified by faith. So he starts the story of Abraham and Abraham was the most powerful example that he could have possibly used because nothing would be considered legitimately true that was contradicted by Abraham's experience. So if you would open your scripture in Galatians chapter 3, we will be looking at verses 6 to 14, but I would like you to look at um, Galatians 3 verses 1 to 5. Because over in the first five verses in Galatians, Paul teaches us through five questions. And although this is not our main text tonight, I would, I would still like to read this one because I would like us to have a backdrop of what's going on um, before verse 6. So like, yeah, like what I said, in the first five verses, Paul is teaching us through five questions. And this is what he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh. So you see what's going on here? They receive the Spirit. They receive salvation. But they are trying to perfect, they are trying to perfect themselves by their own effort. So it's, and in verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So now let's go to our main text, which is verse 6. So Paul starts with the presentation of faith here. In verse 6, he said, uh, again, if you have your slides, that's going to be in there. Verse 6, it says, Just as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. So the quotation in this verse, because uh, again, I would, I would highlight that in the first five verses, Paul teaches us through five questions. And from verse 6 until 14, Paul is going to teach us through five quotations. So in verse 6, it says, Just as Abraham believed in God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The quotation in this verse is actually from the book of Genesis chapter 15, in verse 6. And the setting of this quotation is like, let me tell you what's going on here. Um, Abraham asked the Lord, 
And this is what he literally say. He said, he said Lord, I am childless and I want to know what's your plan. I want to know what, what you're going to do with me. And then the Lord responded. And in, verse, in, in Genesis 15, verse 5, this is how the Lord responded to Abraham. It says, Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. So God said to Abraham, Hey Abraham, you know, come out and I would like you to count the stars that you see in the sky. If you're able to count them, it means that you're, you'll be able to count the sons and daughters that I'm going to give you moving forward. So pretty much what the Lord is saying is that I'm going to give you descendants that you couldn't count. And then in verse 6, in Genesis 15, 6, it says, And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So you may not know this, but this is the first time that the Bible mentioned the word believe. And this is the beginning of believing. And according to many commentaries, this is one of the greatest texts in the Old Testament scriptures. So Abraham believed God and God accounted his belief to him as righteousness. So God pretty much revealed to Abraham the principle of faith. And this is the exact thing that also happened to Abraham's wife. Uh, Abraham did not get this experience alone. Sarah, his wife, also had the same experience. And we read that in Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, 11, it says, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. And look at this one. It says, Because she judged him faithfully who had promised. So what does that mean? It means that she believes. Abraham was a man who exercised his faith in God in the areas where he could not have possibly known what God was going to do. So we see over and over in the scripture, if you read the book of Genesis, you would see how Abraham exercised his faith. You remember when God called him to uh, a place where he never been? You remember that story? You know, and then God gave him a promise that he will be uh, given a, a son. Even when his wife and he himself were past the age of childbearing. Because you remember, Abraham was 100 years old when they had Isaac. And Sarah was 90 years old when they, they had Isaac. So it was God's answer and, and God gave them the son. And then you also remember when God commanded uh, Abraham to go to Mount Moriah. And God said, hey, I would like you to go to Mount Moriah and offer your son. So literally, God is wanting Abraham to sacrifice the son that he just gave to him. And through all this process, Abraham keeps believing God, even when he doesn't know what God is doing. And in the 22nd chapter of Genesis, which is probably one of my favorite, favorite uh, chapters in the book of Genesis, you'd see the story of Abraham and Isaac and the young men going to the mountains. They journey uh, to the mountains where Abraham is supposedly going to offer uh, his son, Isaac. And remember this, God has two words for Abraham. The first word that he gave to Abraham is that, in Isaac, your seed shall be blessed. And then the next word that he gave to Abraham is that, I would like you to go up to the mountain and offer your, offer your son. So it was like, I think this is one of the one of the texts that we can say that exhibits a great, great exercise of faith in the scriptures. And if you know the story, amazing, thing has, amazing things happens here. 
And then the Bible says that Abraham and his traveling crew, when they reach the base of Mount Moriah, Abraham starts to get ready to go up to the mountain and then he turns to speak to the young men who are going to stay with the animals and said, look at this, in Genesis 22, 5, this is what Abraham said to the men. And Abraham said to young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship and look at this, and we will come back to you. He said, we. You know, wait a minute, I, I think Abraham is, is wrong here. Because Abraham, you're, you're supposed to, you're about to sacrifice your son. So don't say we, right? Just say, and I will come back to you, right? Because when he, say, when, he, when he said that we will come back to you, like what I said, I don't think that's true. But I think it was true in the heart of Abraham. He didn't know how it is going to happen. But he didn't, know, he didn't know how God is going to work in the situations. But he had two promises from the Lord that seemed to be contradicting. So he was sure that God is going to do something and God would intervene so that both promises would be true. So we don't know what happened till we get all the way in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. It says like this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his son begotten, his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in the figurative sense. So do you see what's going on in the heart of Abraham when he was doing this, when he was uh, climbing up the mountain when his son, he said, God, you know, I don't, get, I don't get this. You know, you gave me Isaac and then you promised me that my future is going to be blessed through him. And then now you want me to sacrifice him to you. I don't know what's, what's going on, Lord. I don't know what's, what's, what's going to happen. But I know, Lord, that you can raise him from the dead. But I know, Lord, that whatever happens, the two of us would be going back down the mountain together. So, I, you know, I sometimes think I, sometimes think I am a man with faith. But just thinking about the stories like Abraham... And the degree and the level of faith that we are seeing in the scripture that is in front of us. I mean, I am in no way close to where, where he is. And like what I said, you know, Abraham is a man of faith. And he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So question, was Abraham righteous because he went to the mountain? No, right? Was Abraham righteous because he reached back the knife? To kill his son? No, right? Abraham was righteous for, for one reason. And that is because he believed. And his faith was counted unto him as righteousness. Faith is believing what God says even when things are not cooperating. Even when things does not agree. So Abraham believed in God. And the Bible goes on to say that only when you believe Abraham that you can be called the son of Abraham. Sorry, only when you believe that you can be called the son of Abraham. So the son of Abraham is composed of people who believed in the Lord. You know, you can be a Jew and not be a son of Abraham. You can be a Gentile and be a son of Abraham. Right? The Bible says that all those, all the true sons of Abraham are people who believe in God and put their faith in him. That is the sons of faith. And before we move forward, you know, one thing that I would like to share that I realized when I was doing this one, 
I think Paul did a master, a, a, a tactful job when he was confronting the Jewish leaders here. Because you have to remember, because he used their own textbook. He used their own scripture. And he also used their number one hero, Abraham, right? To confront them and to, to explain to them his point. And during my introduction, I've said that the first five verses of the book of Galatians chapter 3, Paul used a question to teach us. And the succeeding verses until chapter 14, he used different quotations from the Old Testament, again, to teach us. Let me share this to you. In verse 6 and 7, there is a quotation from the Old Testament taken from Genesis 15 to 6. In verses 8 to 9, there is a quotation from the Old Testament from Genesis 12 to 3. And in verse 10, there is a quotation from the Old Testament from Deuteronomy 27, 26. In verse 11, there is a quotation from the Old Testament from the book of Habakkuk 2 and 4. In verse 12, there is a quotation from the Old Testament from the book of Leviticus 18, 5. And in verses 13 to 14, there is a quotation from the Old Testament from the book of Deuteronomy 21, 23. So, you know, if you have your Bible in front of you, I'm sure you have the, the footnote at the bottom of the page. You will see these references. So what Paul did was he took their own book and he took their number one hero. And, and he said, you don't believe in salvation by faith? Let me present to you my example. This is Abraham, your hero, your number one, number one guy. And he was justified by faith. And you're still telling me that justification is by works? So, you know, I was thinking about this. When Paul was reciting all these uh, quotations from the Old Testament, I think he did this by memory. I, I don't think when he did this that he had the scroll in front of him and he, he was reading it. I, I thought when he did this one, he was, he was choosing these this specific passages about faith and he was presenting it and he laid it all in front of them. So I don't know what those men would have said when he got done with all of that, you know. I'm sure they're not happy because he took their number one guy. He used their textbook to prove that salvation is not a combination of works, but salvation is faith alone in God. I don't know if you've heard about this. The Judaizers are very proud that they are sons of Abraham. That's one of their, one of their traits, one of their characteristics, or one of their um, part of their personalities, you know, they take pride because they believe that they are part of Abraham's seed. And Paul said, no, you are not. Unless you believe, you will never be Abraham's seed. Because here are my gentle friends. They believe and they are sons of Abraham. And I'm sure that blessed their hearts, right? <laughs> so there could have been no stronger argument for Jewish Christian to hear and to understand that their ultimate father, Abraham, had been justified in the exact way Paul was preaching the gospel to the Galatian churches. And that's amazing. In verse 8 to 9, it says, Galatians 3, 8 to 9 says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify, would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In, in you all nations shall be blessed, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So this is an exposition of Genesis chapter 12, verse, verses 1 to 3, where uh, God uh, told Abraham that through him all nations will be blessed. And how did it happen? It happened through Jesus Christ, right? Because Jesus Christ came from the line, from the lineage of Abraham. 
And the gospel was preached because of Jesus Christ. That's why you and me are blessed today. Because of Abraham. You know that one? And in reality, God preached the gospel in Genesis 12 to Abraham. And the result of this, the result of this one, everybody hears it. Everybody, now we are Christians and we are children of Abraham. So this is the analysis of faith. This is the first part of Paul's argument. So the, the, that's one way of being saved. That's one way to come to God. And that is through faith, right? And you know why I said that's one way of being saved? Because there is also another way of getting to heaven. But I would like you to chill and relax. I don't want you to panic. And, you know, Colby talked talk to me yesterday. He said, don't preach any heresy. That's what he said. He said, I, I've asked Andrew to text me if you're preaching a heretic message. So he, he, was, he was kidding. So I said that because I would like you to relax. When I said that there is an uh, alternative way to heaven, let me, let me explain to you why I said that. So, any objection? <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, um, in verse 10 and the following, I would like you to notice the alternative to faith, which is the possibility of salvation by works of the law. In verse 10, it says, For many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, do you know that the Old Testament literally teaches about the about the that you can be saved through the law that you can you can be saved by the law it is potentially possible it is potentially just uh, possible that you can be justified by the law if every part of the law is completed and perfected by you you know to make this point in verse 12 Paul quotes from the book of Leviticus and this is what he said you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgment, which if a man does, he said, he shall live by them. You see that one? In other words, if you keep the commandments and all the statutes around it, you can be justified before God. The question is this one. Has anyone ever done that? Just one, right? Jesus. So the possibility of you the possibility of the law taking you to heaven is technically out there. But let me tell you how many people have done that. This is according to the latest census 2021. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Zero. So now you say, you know, you know, Noel, I, I think I'm going to heaven. You know, I'll just have to do a lot of good things, good works. And I'll tell you, if you do that, you'll be the only one in heaven. Uh, who did it because nobody has ever done that nobody can ever do that and I'll say again I'll say to you this is not just about the Ten Commandments no because some people would say you know I'll just I'll just you know I don't I don't do this do that I'll just follow the Ten Commandments no no this is not just about the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments is just part of the law that's just the core of it um, then there are numerous, if I'm not mistaken, around 500 to 600 plus, according to the Jewish traditions, small laws, mosaic laws that are evolving around the Ten Commandments. So um, you have to keep everything of it. You have to keep uh, each and every one of, of it. So now let me tell you um, that there is another way to God, but it is an impossible journey. 
and no one can go there. And every religion apart from Christianity is an attempt to get to heaven through this one, through good works. And I'm not being uh, critical or I'm not being harsh or cruel here. I'm just, I'm just saying what the Bible is telling us here. The Bible says that the only way you can get to heaven is when you put your faith in Jesus Christ or by being absolutely perfect and never having a single flaw in your life. In other words, if you keep all the commandments and the statutes around it, you can be justified. And you'll say, well, Christ did that. Well, yeah, Christ did that. But technically, you know, Christ is perfect from the very beginning, right? So what is the problem in this alternative way to salvation? The problem is this one. In verse 12, it says, Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. So it's impossible to be justified by the law. That's what Paul is saying here. And in verse 10, he quotes Deuteronomy 27, 26. It says here, Curse is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So as I have mentioned, the law are not just made up of the Ten Commandments. There are, because that's probably our, our misconception, right? Um, but there are statutes around it. There are commandments, ordinances around it that is impossible for you and for me to keep. And it's not just the letter of the law that we have to keep, but we also have to keep the spirit of the law. Now, you'll say, what do you mean about the spirit of the law? You know, Jesus Christ explained this very well in Matthew 5, 27 and 28. This is what he said. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whatever, I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You know, someone would say, oh, no, no, that's Jesus making the Old Testament law more important. No, no, that's Jesus telling us what the Old Testament really meant from the very beginning. So the commandment was not just about the outward acceptance of the law. It was the spirit and the law being obeyed every day, every moment, and every way. So it is impossible to be justified by the law. And not only that, even if it's possible for you to keep most of it, Unlike what James said about this one, it still would not work because this is what he said, James 2.10. For whoever shall keep the law, the, the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So you tell me, no, no well, that's not fair. I mean, I don't make the law here. You know? God did, not me. So what James is saying here is that the law should be taken as a whole. If you break a part of the law, then that disqualifies you for heaven on the basis of justification by works. So it's like, I like what John MacArthur, I like how John MacArthur illustrated this one. This is what he said. He said, a ship is moored to a dock by a chain is only as secured as the weakest link in the chain. If a severe storm comes and causes even one link to break, the entire ship breaks away. So that's the way it is for those who come to God by their own perfection, by their own perfection by the law. So this is the whole principle that Paul is talking about regarding the law. He said it's, it stands or falls as a unit. If you break a part of it, then you fail to be justified in front of God. And then he says, if you break the law, then you are cursed. Wow, that's strong, right? 
If you break the law, then you are cursed. What does it mean? It means that if you are trying to perfect, if you are trying to be justified by your works, and then you failed, then it means that you fall under the same curse of those who rejected Jesus Christ, which means you will end up in hell with punishment. That means you'll be separated from the presence of God. The curse is everything that is true of those who refuse to take the, way, the, the one way of salvation which Jesus Christ has provided. And so everyone who tried to get to heaven by their own good works is living under an umbrella. And outside that umbrella is a curse that you cannot, that there's no way for you to get out. Look at verse 11, Genesis 3.11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. So if you, if you stop for a while and think about this, you know, I think this is, this is, this is, this is true. And because no one can really, comp- no one can really complete or can, no one can really complete and perfect the law. So aside from keep, keeping the letter of the law, you have to keep the spirit, like what I have mentioned a, a while ago, and that is virtually impossible. And I think this is one of the problems of a lot of people in our culture nowadays. You know, they will say, they will tell you, I, I don't need Jesus. You know, I don't need your salvation because I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good enough. Have you heard those people? And it's just, it just breaks our heart every time we, we hear those kind of uh, statement from people where they say that they don't need our, that they don't need the salvation that Jesus Christ is offering because they feel that they are good enough. They will tell you, I, you know, I'm not a bad person. I, I don't, I don't commit adultery against my spouse. I don't steal. But sometimes I would like to ask them a question. Like, let's pretend you're you're that person. Um, let's say, I, if I ask you, do you commit three sins in a day? Right? Right. So that's, that's a conservative assessment. So, and then three, three sins in a day multiplied by 365 days in a year. So I did my math. That's 1,095. That's 1,095 sins in a year. How old are you? 30 years old? Well, let's just say 1,000 in, in a year and you're 30 years old. That's 30,000. And then how, how old do you want to be? 80? 85 years old, that's 80,000 sins. When you face the Lord, and the Lord would tell you, okay, Noel, let's talk about your 80,000 sins here. Right? So are you getting the picture here? You can't do it. And I can't do it either. And you say, why is it there? Well, the reason why it is there is because the law points us of our need of a Savior. That is why it's there. It points us to a standard that is so high that you could never meet or that you can never measure up until someone do it for you. Over in the next few verses, you would read this in Galatians 3.24, the law is the schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. Oh, that's, that's, I, I like that, I like that uh, verse. It, um, this is one of my favorite verses in Galatians. The law is the schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. The law is the score that we could never get and tells us that we need help. And another problem that uh, Paul was dealing here in Galatian church, in, in the Galatians church, and I would also like you to think about this one, is that we think now that we are saved, that we can go back 
to our old way and keep trying to measure up to God's standard in our own strength. You know what I'm saying? What's happening during, during when Paul was writing this to the Galatian churches? The Galatian churches also already received salvation from the Lord, but they went back to their old ways of trying to uh, perfect themselves by their works. So if we are not careful, we could also fall on the same category as Paul is trying to battle in this uh, particular passage. The greatest problem of people coming to Christ is the problem of recognition that they are lost without hope, without Christ. Unless you throw yourself in the mercy of God, we will remain to be hate, uh, hope, uh, without hope and, and pitiful. So if you're here and if you're a believer, you're a Christian, I'm sure you've reached a point in your prayer life where you said, Lord, I have done my part, Lord. I, you know, I've, I've done what I can do, but I always messed up. Lord, will you forgive me? Lord, will you, will you save me? I would like you to be my Savior and my Lord, right? Paul ends this discussion in this chapter by giving us a picture of how Jesus Christ is the answer to all of this. And before we go that, I would like to reiterate that that's indeed that's true that it is Jesus that we all we all need. Jesus is the answer. And when I say that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm not just quoting a scripture here. But I'm just I'm telling you the truth. And if you start uh, internalizing and muttering this verse in you, you would realize how powerful and how true this verse is in our lives. You know, I've heard a story about D.L. Moody. If you, are, if you know D.L. Moody, he's the uh, prince of preachers. Um, D.L. Moody lived years, years, years. He's from England. Uh, but he traveled to different countries. And like Billy Graham, he would conduct different um, um, ministry crusades to different places. Um, at one point, he conducted series of ministry crusade in a city where there was a man who felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But this man was, but he just kept on putting off his decision to follow Jesus until the last crusade night that D.L. Moody had. Everybody was like folding the chairs. Uh, the crew was uh, dismantling the, the stage. And then finally, this man had the courage to step forward and say, Hey, Mr. Moody, what should I do to be saved? And D.L. Moody responded, and this is what he said. He said, you are too late. He said, what do you mean I'm late? He said, if you want to be saved, you are too late. In fact, you are 2,000 years late. That's what he said. He said, but if you want to trust the Lord... And if you want to be saved, he said, if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this is the right time. All the doing has been completed. All the, all the works has been completed. Um, I have a, 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 a tattoo over here. It says, Tetelestai. That is the last word of Jesus Christ, which means it is done. It is finished. So, um, yeah. All the works and the doing has been completed by our Lord Jesus Christ. All we have to do is to accept Him as our personal Savior and our personal our personal Lord. And that is the problem, right? You know, what must I do to be saved? 
that's the questions that many people asked. And we don't have to do anything because Jesus Christ plus nothing equals everything. Does it mean I can just live the way I would like to live? No. Because if you have Jesus in your heart, you would follow your heart. right? You would follow the will of our Father who is living inside of you. Um, an author named Charles Sheldon wrote a book entitled, What Would Jesus Do? You know, if I would suggest a title, I would probably change it. I would probably say, what has Jesus done? That's probably a more appropriate title for this book. Um, Jesus Christ has done everything for us. He has done enough. And we don't have to do anything to go along with it. Because like what I said, he has completed the works for us. And in verse 13 and 14, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the course of the law having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. On the tree. Paul, is, Paul is saying, and let me put this together for you. You know, if you want to be justified, you have to put your trust on what Christ has done for you. You have to let him, you have to let him be your curse. You, you're cursed because you try to work under, 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 the, under the law, but you fail. And the penalty of failure is death. But the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ took all of those and he became your curse. And if you put your trust in him, you will never have to worry about, about it again. And you will have an abundant life. A life that is filled with hope, with peace, and with freedom. You know, you see the problem that we are, uh, that Paul is dealing, dealing here in, when he was writing this letter. And... and Paul is trying to explain to the Galatian people the beauty of grace. And the Galatian people or the Galatian believers are starting to drift back to live under the law. And Paul is scratching his head and he's like, why would you do that? You know, you have tasted the goodness of God, his grace, and now you are wanting to go back to the law. You are wanting to burden yourself by, by completing and fulfilling the law. Paul is saying, you are in the grace, stand firm in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let them drag you back into the law because it will destroy you. You know, I've heard this story and I would like to, I, I thought this is a good story. If, if you know me, I like, I like telling stories. So, so um, uh, yeah, I've heard these stories and I would like to put myself in the stories so you can understand this more. Um, suppose you own a restaurant. Who likes buffet here? There you go. There you go. Welcome to the club. <laughs> so suppose you, you own a restaurant and then at the end of the night, you're trying to do your, your accounting. You, you have an office like on the side, which is next to the place where they put the trash cans in the alley outside. And then as you do your accounting, you've heard some sound coming from the, the garbage garbage area. And then you, you slowly uh, walked out and opened the door and you checked in there. And you see me. I was fighting a stray cat. I was on my dirty clothes and I was digging for food. And you say, hey, Noel, what in the, in the world you're doing in there? <laughs> and, then, and then I said, well, I'm trying to, to look for food, for leftover food here. And he said, well... You can come in, you can come inside, and all the foods that I have in the kitchen, you can eat whatever you want in there. 
And I was like, are you sure? You're going to do that? You're so generous. And, and, and you say, yeah, just walk, walk, in, walk in there. And whatever you find in there that, that looks appetizing to you, go ahead, go ahead and eat that. I said, well, thank you. You mean everything that I can find in there? I can take it, but I don't have money. You can take it for free. For free. So I'll just go there and take the food that I want, and I'll take it for free. But can I also take the, the leftover in the trash can? What do you think a normal person would do? Right? So I think this is the principle of grace. God has opened us a whole buffet of blessings. His grace. The fellowship with the Holy Spirit. What else? And he has paid everything for us. What, and everything that you could imagine. Could you imagine anyone who's been exposed to that kind of feast that God has offered? No one in, on his right mind will ever want to go back outside in the trash to dig for leftover. Right? And that is what the Galatians were trying to do here. No wonder Paul was scratching his head when he was writing this letter to the Galatian peoples. And what do you get from here? This is what I get from here. I'm staying in, inside the buffet. I'm staying and I would enjoy all the blessings that, the, that, that, that God has, has given uh, freely to those who, who would receive it. You know, I'm going to the line in the cafeteria. Like what I said, I like buffet. Just, you just add a little car- calories. But uh, I, I have a good, my, my metabolism is good, so. I'm good with that. But seriously, this is what God has done for us. You know, He set out He, he set He set out His huge cafeteria of blessings, um, the Holy Spirit, the fellowship with the Father and other believers, the Word of God, the freedom, the peace, acceptance with God, and all this stuff. And why would you want to go back in the old way of trying to perfect yourself, trying to perfect your status, your standing in the presence of God by perfecting the law? That's, that's the message that I'm getting from here. And then you say, what does that mean? Or what, what would it tell me about the way I live my life? That's the question, right? So as I walk going to the cafeteria, what will I say? I'll say, hey, bro, friend, thank you so much for allowing me to eat whatever food I like in here. You're so nice. Thanks for giving it for free. What can I do? I can sweep the floor for you. I can wash the dishes. You see the motivation there? The motivation of doing good is out from what we have received. It is not from, it is not, it, it is not the opposite. So again, um, I would like us to just think about where we are right now and the blessings that God has given to us, to those who believed in him. That's what the Lord wants us to experience. His fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the fellowship with the Holy Spirit and all the blessings, these things are given to us for free. And if you have not encountered or if you have not experienced that blessings that God has, has prepared for those who believed, I would, like you to, I, would, I would like to invite you to take a moment. You know, we would have someone at the back if you would like to know more about these blessings that God has prepared for, for those who believe. Um, someone would be there. You can talk to them and... They can explain to you all about these things. And again, I don't want us to miss the blessings that God has given us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your greatness, Lord. We thank you for your generosity. Lord, we don't deserve the things that we have in front of us. But 
we know that out of your grace, Lord, you have prepared numerous blessings for your children. Lord, Lord uh, my prayer tonight is that you would continuously remind us of who you are in our lives, of what Christ has done in our lives. And we want to celebrate these things, Lord. We want to exalt the name of Jesus in our lives, in, in, in our minds. Lord, my prayer is that you would continuously use us in whatever ministry you would like us to be. And I pray, Father, that as you use us, as you use us as your mouthpiece to declare the goodness of Jesus in our lives, to our friends, to our families, co-workers, that they will continuously see your image. Father in heaven, um, we pray that you would continuously be in our gatherings and that uh, all, of our, our, all of our prayers and singings would ascend to your throne like a sweet aroma. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.